Hello, and welcome back to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Uh, in each episode of this podcast, I'll look at one of the works of Robert A. Heinlein or a part of one of his works of the longer ones. Um, and this episode, I'll be looking at one of his shorter stories. Because uh, I've been going through a lot of his early stories lately, because that's mostly what he what he published in his early years before uh, World War One, World War Two. I mean, um, this one is was published in 1941 in Unknown. So he had been publishing mostly in um, Astounding. But also occasionally published in other lesser-known uh, magazines and more forgotten magazines, and this is one of those. Um, published under the name Robert Heinlein. I've, I've noticed there are so many times he publishes under pseudonyms. Maybe we should make that clear. Um, this one, it's a really... So this story is called They. This story is... Um, how, how to start with this? Um... Basically, it's kind of a philosophical exploration of solipsism and conspiracy theories and paranoia. And, and that's why it really reminded me of like a Philip Dick story. I think Philip Dick would have dealt with it differently. Um, but even the ending of this story in which the, can, the, the paranoia is deemed to be correct um, and not a delusion is something Philip Dick would have done and, and often did do in his stories. So, of course, Philip Dick's writing a decade after this. So I don't know if he was influenced by the story in any ways, um, but it's very different. Uh, the Wikipedia article says like this was, uh, let me find it. Uh, well, I actually closed it, but it, it's pretty short. But it says like this was an exploration of the philosophical issue that he'd been dealing with for some time in his work or something. And of course, he'd only been writing for a year at this point or publishing, I should say, for a year. And I don't think I don't see these themes that much in other stories there there's a lot of political things a lot of visions of the future a lot of the what would become the future history um, timeline he started to construct that's there a lot of stuff about rebellion and and resistance and and all that he had the whole stuff with social credit and he plays with that a lot in some of his early works um I don't think any of their tales, or he talks a lot about technology, uh, IP, ownership, the role of technology in society. These are all things that he's exploring. We've talked about them. This one uh, does seem quite uh, distinct to me from those stories. Not to say that these aren't themes that he'll explore later on in his work or in other ways, but um, it, it does seem kind of fresh and very different uh, to my eyes. So there's not that much of a plot here um basically we have the main character um who's talking with this guy dr hayward who's kind of like his psychiatrist um and they are they're playing chess throughout much of the story and most of the story is either a conversation he's having with this psychiatrist or something he's writing down like reflections on his his views that he's writing down and uh, basically, he's, he's under the impression that there's this vast conspiracy 
against him. And basically everyone else is either part of a conspiracy or what he calls an automaton. So there's basically two categories of people outside of himself, neither of which are really true people. Uh, automatons like NPCs, uh, essentially. And then the the conspirators and whatever they're after, he's not quite sure. He doesn't quite know what they're after. And we get a small window into what, when it's revealed that this consp- that his paranoia is actually true, we get a little window into what they're trying to do. It's, it's a little like Dark City almost, or uh, what's the other one? Uh, the Phil Dick story, Adjustment Bureau. I forget if that was the name of the movie or the story. They had slightly different names. But that, that one where people are slightly changing things. Uh, if you've seen Dark City, that's one where they're really experimenting on people by sl- slowly changing around them the the reality to see how they react to different things. In the Philip Dick story, it's really to avoid catastrophe. It's like a Cold War brinksmanship kind of story in which the adjustment teams. I think that's what it, I think that's the Philip Dick story. It's called Adjustment Team, where the the teams change things to ensure that catastrophic outcomes don't result. So they're like basically manipulating things as history goes along to feed it into a direction of peace. Um, here we don't quit quite as much, but there is invo- there is changing, there's rebooting of consciousnesses. Uh, there's a mention here of like uh, cycles that our main character kind of will go through as he's sort of rebooted. Now, I don't know how I feel about this ending to the story. Um, I... Again, it does. It, it's something you would have saw in, in Philip Dick. I think Philip Dick would have done something a little bit different with it. Maybe a little more, uh, a little more, I guess, pessimistic or a little more ambiguous in, in things. I, I don't know, but this again, this this seems to be more an embrace of the paranoia than I've come to see in like Heinlein stories up to this point. Heinlein's, there are conspiracies, I suppose, if you want to consider the state a conspiracy. There are rebellions, but nothing quite like this, nothing quite so totalistic as that. Now, the narrator comes off to me really not well for most of the story, um, in that he's just refusing to accept the reality of anything, anyone else, even the psychiatrist he's talking to. And his evidence is, it's based on real experiences, I think we have, like, for instance, he says, like, when I was a kid, all the other kids seemed weird to me. They seemed a little bit off. I didn't quite understand them. Well, that's everyone, right? We all sometimes feel we don't fully understand the people around us. We we only can see the world through our eyes. And when other people make decisions or do things and we don't understand why they made those decisions, they're going to come off as a little bit odd to us. Um, that's that's fine. I think that's based in reality. And then the other more interesting one is he said, like, I even felt this way as a kid because when I was a kid, you know, the parent, the, the adults would be talking about something. I would enter the room and then they'd be talking about the weather. They'd be talking about something banal that couldn't have been their conversation. I, I really like that moment where he's like, there's no way they could have been sitting there talking about the weather or talking about business or talking about uh, the, the stock market. Or whatever stupid thing they're talking about, because that's just too stupid to talk about. No one would actually do that. It's 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 a decoy. It's it must be. When I entered the room, they switched. They code switched to talk about banalities because they don't want me to hear what they're about. Now that's actually kind of a compelling, interesting idea. And again, that's something Philip Dick did explore: is this gap between childhood and adulthood. 
and how adults and children have very different windows into the world. Um, and of course, Heinlein is going to write juvenile stories, but the ones of those I've read, I don't get the sense of this inescapable gap between adulthood and childhood. Those stories, the juveniles, seem to be much more in the lines of how do we mature into adults, right? It's like our, our heroes in the juveniles are always one step away from adulthood. They are taking on adult responsibilities. They are uh, being trained as adults. They're being educated. There isn't a paranoia about the system in, in quite the same way. But we get it here. But I, I do think that was one of the more interesting aspects of this is where the world does feel sometimes like we don't belong. And, and if you take that seriously, if you grow up with that idea and you mature with it, you end up, I guess, based. You end up, or, or at worst, a or even worse, a conspiracy theorist. Not that there's anything wrong with baseness on its own, but when it does veer towards solipsism or this idea that like my perspective on things is so original and, and, and unique and no one else has it, and that's what kind of makes it awesome, that kind of strive for originality or uniqueness doesn't, I don't see where that gets us, you know? And, I, and, I, and at the same time, I'll just come out and say it, I think conspiracy theory, rhetoric and language, and there's more and more of it these days, online and out in the world is dangerous, not just wrong. Um, you know, is there a conspiracy? I mean, are there people manipulating the world? Is there sort of a deep state? Sure. It depends what you really mean by that. Obviously not the Illuminati or whatever, but yeah, there, there are powerful people doing things that we don't have much control over. The problem is it's not really like a plan, it's not, a cons it's not like they're manipulating things to, to get things the right way, to, to create the world. They're just doing things, right? They're just playing out their role as powerful people in a, in a capitalist environment. Where, where I think the conspiracy theorists get it wrong, and I think where our character here goes wrong, at least until the end when it's revealed that it's true, but even there we don't get a sense of really what's going on so the conspiracy theory kind of is empty because we're not told what they're actually after that's something i think philip dick would have maybe got added to the story to some degree because there was a kind of a groundedness to philip dick as, as bizarre as his ideas sometimes were there was something his 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 feet were on the ground at the end of the day he, he would there was always like a political purpose to things and if you want to go back to my podcast where i kind of break this down through story by story and novel by novel and go back hundreds of episodes and find my series on Philip Dick. Um, but I'll try to stop talking about Philip Dick as a comparison here and just deal with the story as it is. Um, my point about the conspiracy theorists is like to imagine that there's some plan is I think where people go go wrong. Uh, to the degree that there is a plan, it's pretty clear. It, it's profit. It's it's to extract surplus value from the working class. This is what this is on the front page of newspapers all the time, right? Anyone who just can like somewhat observe what's going on sees this. Um, and it's not really being hidden. There's, there's not much of an effort to hide it from us because it is so advertised and it's so much part of our, of our ideology, right? And, and that's just that we're given. I, I don't think there's much hidden. We're, we're educated to think this way in, in textbooks that you can pick up. I mean, what's, again, that's, this is just, the workings of, of capitalism defending itself. 
because people can't imagine an alternative. And the ruling class don't want an alternative because they're happy with the way things are. So that's what I don't like about the conspiracy theorist approach is this idea that there's a plan because there clearly isn't a plan. Um, it's just holding things together so people can continue to profit for the few years this system has left. Now, after he tells his, the character here tells his doctor about the, his basic worldview, we get some philosophical explorations in it. Um, and this is kind of undergraduate stuff, mostly. It's like, well, how, what do I start with? I start with, I got myself. I, I think, therefore I am. He basically starts with Descartes, which, again, any anyone who got through high school basically could do the same thing. It's, it's kind of the lazy way to prove one's own existence because uh, other people have done it. Not that it's wrong or a bad proof. It's just, you know, Avicenna did it. Descartes did it. It's just that that proof is not particularly uh, profound, I suppose. After having it proved, proven to us by people hundreds of years ago. But that's where Heinlein goes with it. But I'll read a bit of this because it is central point to the to the story. Um, he says, All philosophies that claim that the physical world around him did not exist except in his imagination were sheer nonsense. But beyond that, what? Were there any third facts on which he could rely? No, not at this point. He could not afford to believe anything that he was told or that he read or that it was implicitly assumed to be true about the world around him. No, he could not believe any of it, for a sum total of what he had been told or read or been taught in school was so contradictory, so senseless, so wildly insane that none of it could be believed unless he personally confirmed it. And that's when he kind of goes on to his Descartian exploration of, of, of what he can be grounded, what he can be sure of, and that's his own consciousness, his own existence. But this part here, this is just kind of dumb <laughs> to the degree that people uh, embrace it. And, and there are conspiracy is like so alive and well these days it's it just kind of hurts me to 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 read this kind of stuff coming out of Heinlein's pen here because he, he does seem so much more mature to me than this this does not seem to be a mature honest depiction of the world it seems to be that of someone who's um like almost too cool for school uh, approach now, let's, let's take for granted that there are things he doesn't understand that he was taught. Well, again, that's like, I think, a pretty universal experience. We, we all don't understand certain things we're taught, and that could be because they're wrong. We are all taught wrong things, too. That's not a conspiracy. It's just because textbooks are old or because teachers suck sometimes or because it's there's an agenda there. There's a certain way of, of painting a picture of the world, right? We see this a lot in, in how history is presented. But again, I don't think it's a conspiracy. It's not surprising that our history is pro-capitalist and pro-American, at least if you read American, you know, if you go to school in the United States. All states do that. All nation states do that. You go to any other country, their, their history books will, will have that same kind of jingoistic uh, taint to it. It's just nationalism, right? It's just nationalism and capitalism. Uh, and, and nationalism is somehow propping up uh, a capitalist world that's that's plunging into the depths. So I'm not too keen on this whole philosophy. It's just, it also seems it's kind of lazy. It's like, 
All right, you don't understand something. There's something that seems contradictory. There's something that um, it seems senseless. Well, you know, read some more books. You know, study it or appreciate nuance. Appreciate that there are things that are unknown or not known well or that there's knowledge we don't know and just withhold judgment. That's also perfectly acceptable. Ma- mature skepticism is 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 withholding judgment, not rejecting like that other people exist, rejecting the idea that other people exist because I can't prove their existence. I can't prove they're not NPCs. It's it's better to just say, well, I can't know that. I, I'm not going to make a truth claim about it, but I still have to get through my life. And what what's more plausible, that I'm wrong or I'm insane or that all these other people are? It, it seems it's more plausible that I'm insane. I'm the crazy one. I'm wrong. And I, it's a good way to go through your life. Just assume that you're wrong and that your perceptions are wrong or your conclusions are wrong before assuming everyone else's are. Um, I think there's a better foundation for solidarity and actual progress than than delving down into the conspiracy stuff. Now, back to the story. I'm not going to say too much more about it, but back to the story, we find that he has a wife who he also doubts and thinks is part of the conspiracy. And he eventually meets with her and they have a conversation and he's all in his, he's all, he's all black-pilled here. Um, red-pilled, whatever pill people take these days. I can't keep up. He's some kind of pill. He's pilled in some way. And, I, and he's just doubting and skeptical about everything his wife says. And then he does notice an incongruity, a contradiction. One of these contradictions you mentioned before having to do with, with the rain. Was when, he, when the wife came to the door, it, it, it was raining, but it hadn't been raining before. So there was a, a, an issue with the rain. And he kind of uses to say, ha, ah, gotcha. And again, this is what the conspiracy theorists do all the time is they'll, they'll, they'll gravitate to that one thing you got wrong or that one thing that doesn't make sense or that one little thing that just doesn't quite fit in the standard narrative and say, well, we got to dump out the whole theory. All right. And I guess that's, that's the scientific method to a degree, right? If there's one piece of evidence that disproves evolution, you have to throw out the whole theory. But that's not really how science works, right? You don't. Take, you have to actually understand that piece of evidence. You have other people confirm if it doesn't fit, right? You don't throw the baby out of the bathwater every time something doesn't make sense around us. Like you do more studies, you do more research, and eventually, yes, if the evidence becomes overwhelming, then, of course, you, you change your worldview. It's not just like, oh, your hair was wet, but I didn't see rain. You know, it must be aliens controlling the universe. And I'm the only one in existence. That's the, that's where this character comes to. And this makes more sense as, as a, the story of a crazy person who's being really childish about his own, like, illness, refusing to, like, fess up to it. It's like the addict saying he doesn't have a problem when everyone around him saying you have a problem. And the addict's like, well, you took a beer the other day. It's, you have no right to talk to me about it. And it's like, it's... The world doesn't have to make sense all the time in every way. And conspiracy theorists need that to always make sense. So they fit in something that will always explain the, the world. They, they, they establish their own vision of a superstructure behind everything. 
Now, the last few paragraphs of the story, um, basically, we have a conversation between his wife, who's actually a creature, and the psychiatrist, who's actually the Galroom. And these are aliens, the creatures. And then they have a conversation about the conspiracy. And we're not given any explanation of what that is. We know there's a treaty. There's some kind of rules about it. Um, we know that there are, our main point of view character is central to this conspiracy. Um, and Alice is like, well, could we give him the Taj Mahal next sequence? Like, you know, give him something he's wanting to make him more, more comfortable, right? So he won't be asking so many questions. Now, that, that is something that's kind of interesting. You, you see that kind of thing in, like, Adjustment Team or that movie Dark City where it's like... Uh, or what? Or what's the one? Not uh, uh, the one with the lunat lunatics. Time on a joint. That's a Philip Dick story too, right? I said I wasn't going to talk about him, but here we are again. Um, time on a joint where they're able to like find the little mistakes, right? Uh, to expose the expose the conspiracy. And there, there is a conspiracy too. But what I love about that story is the conspiracy is grounded in like a real geopolitical necessity that is like stopping the earth's destruction essentially right uh, and it's just done incompetently right here i guess you've got a sense of it being done incompetently too because they have to kind of tweak it to make them more comfortable to not feel so upset with them it's like it's almost like if time out of joint they rebooted it the simulation and say well this time make sure there's a Mar uh, marilyn monroe's in the in the in the world or something <laughs> That was one of the mistakes. They find these old magazines with Marilyn Monroe and it's like, well, there's no Marilyn Monroe in our world. What the hell's going on here? You know, just clean the edges of the simulation. Truman Show, I guess, is another thing people might know. Where that where that same kind of a corrective is, is, is created. What we don't get is clarity on what's it about. But we do know they can change the world substantially. The last line of the, of the story is, leave structure standing until adjournment. New York City and Harvard University are now dismantled. Divert them from those sectors. So basically they're going to relocate this character somewhere else. And it's just going to be rebooted until he finds the mistake again, I guess. Um, but we don't really know what this conspiracy is about. And I think that's another failing of conspiracy theorists is that there doesn't seem to be a clear explanation of what they're actually after except maybe like something abstract like power or if it's money then you don't need conspiracy theory it's just capitalism again it's just extracting surplus value it's in the system it's in marx if you read it so um yeah let's uh let's close up here um i think we're in 1941 now. We've covered all the 1940 stories. So we don't have to worry about a novel until 1947. Of course, he doesn't publish during World War II. Um, so no novels yet. We got the future history. Maybe we'll, we'll let's go through the future history. Um, so universe, we also walk dogs, common sense. Maybe I'll do universe and then common sense back to back. So I won't do then chariots uh, or what's not chariot. What's it called? The. Uh, uh, orphans, orphans of the sky. I want to say chariots of the sky or something, but that's that's a different work. Um, orphans of the sky. I'll just do those two, um, which I, I read pretty recently. So we also walk dogs, which I never read before. Bethula's children, um, which of course is what becomes uh, 
we've already kind of we're somewhat adjacent to this already because this is connected to um um scudder and all that kind of stuff um this is basically novel length though so it's like uh i think that's it's like uh it's like a revolt in 2100 where it was kind of reworked as a novel um so that'll be a while then logic of empire so those are the final 1941 stories in the future history series and then we have uh he built a crooked house by his bootstraps lost legacy else when beyond doubt the unpleasant profession of jonathan hoag that's 1942 um oh i think we missed magic ink so strike all that we have to go back and do magic ink which is a 1940 story then we'll go and do like the uh, orphans of the sky stuff that's basically what, what we'll do looking for. And so Magic Inc. is long. I have started reading that and then I went back and reread this story. So I'm going to go back and uh, read Magic Inc. I think that'll be easy. It's, it's a long story. It's almost like a short novel, but I think we can do it in one episode. So that's what's next. I guess Magic Inc. will be next. So that's all for now. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.